More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair, it's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Sexton Show. I am joined in this episode by the one and only Mary Catherine Ham. It's hammer time, everybody. In fact, she even has a podcast called Getting Hammered that you should all check out of your of your uh, whenever you have time. Also, her Substack. What's the What's the title of the Substack? MK Hammer. It's always Hammer something. It's always Hammer time. So <laughs> I, I I want to start. We have we have some commonalities. We have some similarities. Um, mm-hmm. We are both uh, people who have worked in the past at CNN as people yes. who are not willing to go along with the uh, destruction of America, and therefore our time at CNN was limited, right? Like there's a certain, if, if you're only going to go on there and, and uh, a certain amount of times before you just start to say, I'm not going to play, I'm not going to play the game guys. And then you get sidelined. Okay. We're going to yeah. get into all this. Don Lemon, is he out at CNN as I speak to you right now? Or is that just the rumor and what happened? And are you surprised that Mr. Don Lemon, as I believe Tucker calls him, has come out uh, to say that women in their 40s should should just, like, give up, basically. Yeah, I mean, I should have packed it in a long time ago. Uh, no, I thought what he said was appalling, and it shows how much he thinks he can get away with, that that just came out without... He has two female co-hosts. It's not a surprise <laughs> to him that he's sitting next to two women. One of whom was like, in her 40s, by, by the, the way. way. Poppy Harlow yeah, is, like, 40-something. <laughs> I know it's it's absolutely crazy. Here's what happened in that situation. He thought he could say something terrible and personal and nasty and misogynistic about a Republican woman and that everybody would be like, that's cool, because often that's what happens. And right. so he thought he'd get that little thrill. And then it turned out, oh, no, I'm sitting here with two women and they act, at least one of them thought I went a little far. By the way, had I been on set like I have no idea how how exactly I would have reacted to that. I think it would have been forceful, I think is the word <laughs> that I would go for. But I don't I don't know what his status is because I'm not on the inside uh, track over at CNN. Right. N- neither am I. I'm actually unofficially <laughs> banned. So so my co-host, Clay Travis, on radio, who you know well, was officially yeah. banned from CNN for talking about the First Amendment and boobs. I was unofficially banned from CNN 
by Jeff Zucker when he saw me and told me I wasn't welcome in the building, even though I was there to visit a friend after I was no longer in the employ of CNN because they actually (laughs) asked to extend a contributor contract for me there. And I said no. (laughs) And I had no job and no like no media uh, job lined up. Certainly no TV income of any kind at the time. I was like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. So uh, and now your your time at CNN, as people watch this, will be at its at its terminus, um, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's the best to get people right as they're exiting the Death Star, uh, the Death Star cool. of liberal lunacy. Um, I, I want to ask you, though, did yeah. Jeff Zucker destroy CNN or did Donald Trump break CNN? Like who's more responsible for CNN becoming the dumpster fire that it is so obviously Look, I think Zucker has to take responsibility. He was in charge of CNN. Like, Trump's not in charge of CNN. You don't have to do his bidding. You don't have to do the uh, 24-7 pissing match. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, Yeah, you can say it everyone. By the way, my thing, Trump Trump wanted to break CNN, right? Like, that was his whole... and, And I think that he succeeded, but you're saying Zucker should have prevented the breakage of CNN that, yeah... Right. You, you indulged this like sort of, yeah, it's like a Manhattan rich guy pissing match in between these two. You indulged it as a alleged newsman. He could have said, no, this is not what we're doing, but he chose to lean into it. Right. Which is why I'm persona non grata. Like I, I was not leaning into it. If you lean into it, you get on air. If you don't, you don't get on air. So we got to talk about what you did lean into. The yeah. Tubin situation, or at least <laughs> leaning on Twitter with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get confused, everybody. <laughs> with, with, with Tubin, who I think, if you're looking for a, an ignominious media moment that was captured on, on video, right? I mean, a lot of people do a lot of things. Yeah. But if you're looking for somebody who's doing crazy things that their colleagues are actually able to see, that is... I mean, that was amazing. Just, just for review for everybody, Jeffrey Tubin was on, I believe, with The New Yorker, where he was a longtime, yes. uh, longtime contributor. He decided to contribute something else, and mm-hmm. which was his naked form uh, during yes. that Zoom call. And his colleagues saw him, and he was... Uh, it, is it, I think it is it technically in flagrante delicto. I mean, is that what it is? That or is that only for the I other thing? I think that's thing? correct, right? You know what I mean? I mean, stuff was going <laughs> yeah. on. I, I don't know what the Latin whether that would uh, uh, auto erotica. I think is actually yeah. perhaps okay. Way. So, but you got in trouble because you tweeted about this. I mean, they actually took action yes. against you for pointing out some of the absurdity. Tell us what happened here with Tubingate. Yeah. Well, uh, so Tubin uh, was caught on tape doing this. This is not disputed. There, there are situations where a Me Too uh, accusation or something that goes on in the workplace is alleged, but you don't actually know if it's real. And we should be yeah. cognizant of that and like weigh these accusations. This one is real cut and dried. Like we know what happened. It was on video. It was right people there out in people's faces. This. You could say. Okay. So he, uh, so he ends up back on the network, I don't know, seven or eight months later, I believe it was. Um, now, the incident did not happen at a CNN meeting. It happened at this other meeting. But I thought, you know, we've been talking about Me Too for like four or five years now, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna welcome him back, not just welcome him back, but there was a full interview about the incident as he was greeted back onto the air, right? So shortly after that happened, in January of, I don't know, what is a year ago now, January of 2022, I guess, I got into a fight with Andrew Kaczynski, my colleague on Twitter, uh, about some coverage that CNN did of the congressional baseball shooting. Because there, I was like, no, it wasn't covered like it would have been covered if it was Democrats. That's crazy to say. Of course. Like, let's just, let's just be honest about it. Uh, It faded in like within 48 hours uh, from what we were talking about. Wait, I'm sorry. Just, 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 can I just, just for review... The Bernie Sanders supporter screaming about how this is for healthcare, who tried to assassinate with a rifle and actually shot Steve Scalise, but tried to assassinate about a dozen specifically conservative members of Congress. That guy. That's who we're talking about, which I think when you bring that up, people go, wait, 
That really was what, yeah, he was yeah. screaming, this is for health care yes. while he's shooting at, at members of Congress who he made sure were Republicans beforehand. That's what happened. He double checked. He double checked that they were Republicans before he went out to try yes. to assassinate them in mass. Anyway, within 24 to 36 hours, CNN had kind of moved on from this story. And people were disputing this online last year over some argument. And I was like, no, no, no. Look, I was there 24 hours later, less than 48 hours later, the news vans were gone. I was on TV at the congressional baseball game where we're standing in front of the victims of this shooting and we were talking about wait for it mike pence got a lawyer that was the story we were talking about so i put this on twitter and andrew kaczynski uh argues with me about it at which point i was like wow you're going pretty hard on me about this um i feel like you never said anything about like tubin and cuomo and then it gets into like well this is why you should have said something about tubin and I said it explicitly, and uh, I got suspended without my knowledge for the next six to seven months. So, who makes that decision within CNN? Like, who who does the? Oh, it was who puts you in CNN Zucker. jail? This was Zucker. It was Zucker, right? Right from yeah, little, they told little me, Zucker. They told huh? me later. Yeah. Wow. So he rode rode to the defense of uh, of Tubin. I really do think and that so there was, I was a. There was a a perception over there at CNN. I mean, it's kind of amazing because now I think I think that CNN it became such a to anybody who was being objective, including Democrats and, and leftists and liberals and other people that I know who are honest about this kind of stuff. That it just became yeah. it just became a joke uh, because it kept holding itself out as some kind of gold standard of journalism, even during the Trump years. I mean, MSNBC. Yeah, they're like lunatic Marxists. I get it, but but everyone knows that. I mean, there's not there's not yeah. this game of we're doing the you know gold standard straight down the middle journalism stuff. And CNN kind of pretends that that's still what it is, and it's such an obvious and laughable fraud that I wonder if the if it ever can recover. I, I, where does it go from here? Look, I'm not sure. I mean, I I do think that the brand took a drubbing. Uh, during those years that I'm not sure how you come back from because you can you can sort of put on the face as if you're doing the work you're doing doing the journalistic work look at us we're CNN but people have changed their habits and you're you're fighting this tide of people having decided like this doesn't feel like CNN used to feel when I turned to it for actual you know breaking news coverage which is a thing that CNN can do well it has bureaus all over the world and can do that kind of stuff well um, but it invested in other things during the Zucker years, and those things were not serving people. And so now you've got cord cutters and all, everybody turning to online and alternative sources, and why would they turn back? I, I don't understand how you make this, the sale um, because there's already people who do hard left commentary perfectly well, right? You don't, I'm not sure you need a substitute for that. Yeah, I just don't think it really has a place to go. I think that uh, Chris Licht is the new guy, right? I, I don't know what yeah. he can what he can really do with that place other than try to make it. The, the real answer, I think, would be to make CNN. Here, here's my theory, and I'll give this to them for, for free. Make CNN a place where they really are doing both voices. And, and, and I mean really do mm -hmm. both voices, meaning that you're going to have, you know, it, it can't just be all the hosts are Democrats and they have three out of four people on or Democrat pundits, you know, it, it would have to be, no, you're going to have real people because if you had a place, I think, in the media now where people could have real debates, not the, the right. bull crap CNN, oh, you don't really get to say anything, we're going to go to this person, the panel, and then we're going to go to commercial, and you're just there to get punched in the face as the conservative. I think that would be interesting. I mean, I kind of miss, I love the Hannity and Combs days, man. Like, I remember back in the day, even on Fox, you saw a lot more debate uh, than you do these right. days. Um but that was the medium, right? I mean, when, when I got into this business, I felt like that's what we were signing up for. People like you and me were going to be there and yeah. there'd be some spirited exchanges and maybe even sometimes people would get a little nasty and go crazy and that would go viral and that's the way it is. Yeah. That doesn't even happen anymore. I mean, it's at a Rarely. point now, no offense, but if somebody goes in CNN, CNN and says they're Republican, I'm like, oh, here we go. Here's the like, as a Republican, uh, my party has lost its way and yeah. all of our principles are so wrong. I can't believe I was pro-choice all those years. I'm like, that's 
That's great, CNN. That's really showing both sides. Yeah. Yeah, I um, that was not me. And you can sort of track the trajectory of my time there accordingly. <laughs> Is that Because I, I like to mix it up. I like to be a voice for people who are not in the room usually. And that's a Republican. If you're on any station, any cable news network other than Fox, right? I, I want to be a voice for people who are not getting their side heard. And to do that makes you a skunk at the garden party. It really does. Oh, as you have experienced. Oh, totally. So, so it's funny because I had the experience of being at CNN initially. I really, cause there was a lot, this is the Obama. I was there for some of the Obama administration. Yeah. Right. And initially it was, Oh, Hey, wait, you actually did a lot of counterterrorism work or, you know, whatever right. intelligence work, I guess would be a better way to put it. Um, in Iraq, Afghanistan, and these places for the CIA, and I briefed the president a bunch of times, the Oval Office, and things like that. It's like, so you can actually do terrorism analysis, and I, and the answer was yes, I could, and I was really good at that, not to be immodest, but I knew that stuff backwards and forwards at the time, in a way that a lot of their guys who had retired from the Air Force 20 years ago just honestly didn't, but anyway, um, and they were very cool with me going on to talk about that stuff. In fact, I remember I got an attaboy once from Zucker himself after there was a a Russian assassination of a dissident right near Red Square, and I was dealing with it in real time because it had just happened. And then the Trump phenomenon came, and I'm telling you, because the, then they're like, well, there's not really, we're not really talking terrorism. It's all Trump, all politics. And they're like, wait, you're a Republican. What do you think of Trump? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to vote for Trump. Like, I'm, a Trump, I'm right. a Trump supporter. And I'm telling you, it was just from then on, either from then on, I was, they look, they looked at me, from from the production assistants all the way up to Zucker with disdain, with disdain, which is such a shame because what kind of news network are you if you have fifty percent or basically fifty percent of the voting public is unrepresented, right? Like I didn't I didn't vote for Trump. I was like a Trump critical but reasonable conservative who never went full like Democrat. I guess I never, I, I didn't do that. Uh, and all during the the Russia stuff. So that's how I sort of that's how I started on the network, right? Like it was during the primaries, and I felt like we did have some really good actual conversations between Trump supporters and myself, who was more critical. And then it came to the Russia stuff, and this is me for four years. I don't think this is what you guys are saying it is, man. Like this doesn't. I don't think this is gonna pan out. I call me crazy, but it doesn't feel like we have the evidence. For what you guys are alleging, Mueller report comes out. Um, so I was right, <laughs> and like that—that that was what sort of made my uh, my my downhill trajectory. Companies that continually evolve their products to make them better are worth sticking with, since they're invested in you, the customer. My Pillow is one of them. With the introduction of My Pillow 2.0, you're gonna love this upgrade. MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, which was all the rage, but now it contains an exclusive new fabric that is made with temperature-regulating thread. This is great for anyone that experiences night sweats or body temperature fluctuations while sleeping. And it's priced right, too. There's a special buy one, get one free offer for a limited time when you use our names as the promo code Clay and Buck. Experience the temperature-regulating technology for yourself and go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square, to get this buy one, get one free offer on the MyPillow 2.0. The pillow comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Enter promo code Clay and Buck or call 800-792-3269 to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Yeah, well, also, there was no there was no accountability for it. And in fact, I've, I've often said um, about that, uh, that it's wrong. it was wrong when I say there's no accountability because... People actually got promoted or, or careers were, I mean, someone like uh, Jim, uh, Jim Acosta at CNN um, by becoming this this little a- anti-Trump, uh, you know, smurf running around freaking out about Trump all the time. Jim Acosta yeah. elevated his career and I'm sure made more money, bigger contract and everything else. Uh, you know, there were others as well who were constantly doing the same thing, constantly uh, building themselves up and saying things that were untrue, but they benefited from it. And I think CNN oh, was yeah. an example of that for individuals. But as as a network, 
the place is done. I, you know, you and I, because of our history, we both have been there. It's kind of like a, this is a little bit of a, a little bit of a therapy session. So there's some other things I want to ask you about, but just, you know, be, before uh, we, we switch, we switch gears. Well, one, one thing to put a, put a button on this, just so everyone knows, because I was curious, uh, Tubin was benched for eight months for what he did. And I was on the bench for seven months for tweeting about it. So. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. No, it's a deeply unfair <laughs> and honestly a, a, a grotesquely dishonest organization um, that not a single one of their anchors would have the balls to have an unfiltered discussion with someone like me about how utterly full of full of crap they are. That's that's like There's... that's basically where we are at this point. Like they would know to stay away from someone like me. Um, you're a very you're a very polite, nice person. Uh, I I tend to get more angry yeah. about what I've seen CNN do, but maybe depends on the subject. But I yeah. was going to say, yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> I'm uh, you know because they what they've done and, and the way that they've gone after people and the show also stuff that they're showing up on you know some woman's front lawn who was uh, you know yeah. part of a Facebook group and some Russian bot or yes. something. I mean, just you know going after the guy who did the Nancy Pelosi is drunk meme. I mean. The, they became a nasty and vindictive organization of dishonest people um, with with very few exceptions that I, I just speaking about people's work. I mean, there are people that I know there personally that I would say, OK, they're a nice enough person. But in terms yes. of the work that in, in, yeah, it right. But in terms of the work that was on air. No, no, it really. Yeah, the, the mission of the network felt like what you're talking about yeah. is what the mission felt like as, as, as opposed to individual personalities, yeah. which could be fine. And, and we're yeah, fine. I'll, I'll put it out there. Anyone at CNN who wants to disagree with me on this one, I, I would love to live my radio show on CNN's air. No, no uh, pre-taping. Not like the time that Brad Stelter had me on to debate. Why is it Buck that you called this act of terrorism, jihadist terrorism before anybody else, by the way, of course it turned out that I was right. We taped an interview on this. They never aired it, never even told me they weren't going to air it to scrap the whole thing. Because he looked like such an idiot. Because he is an idiot. I'm like, why are you doing... Well, yeah. like, I'm like, Stelter, first of all, why are you debating anything with me? Second of all, you're going to debate this with me? Really? Do you want to tell, yeah. like, you know, you want to tell an NBA player how to do his free throws? Like, what are you doing, dude? It was just crazy. Yeah. It was, anyway. I mean, that's- just, there has to be accountability for when they're wrong or when they're deceiving people, and they're just isn't isn't i know and so you're not serving the product that people need craziness uh so something else that that uh that i know you're you're a little fired up about Uh, i mentioned my my good friend our friend clay before marching bands clay is a big sports guy (laughs) and he has some thoughts about marching bands i will tell you before we get to the marching bands topic Mm -hmm. it is a big secret among certainly my audience listeners i am a classically trained musician I do not share publicly what the instrument is just because it's funny ah. to hear. It's funny to hear because it's obviously not like the guitar, the piano or something cool or even like the violin. Like it's definitely something that and everyone's like the oboe, the clarinet, the flute, the piccolo. I always appreciate that. one. I'm like, oh, somebody studied a little, you know, classical music or yeah. likes it. Um, but tell me this. Tell me this dispute. Clay thinks that there should be no marching bands to move through college football faster you as a marching band person think this is yes this is an outrage it's an outrage okay first of all my guess would be bassoon second of all good um, good guess (laughs) second of all yes so clay is arguing that because uh the college football gods are trying to change the game to be quicker which like i'm not even sure that we need that like Unless it gets me more tailgating time, why, why are we doing this? Anyway, so that needs to be quicker. So they're trying to make some changes. His argument is that you just chop out the 10 to 12 minutes of marching band from halftime and we're done. I disagree because they deserve, they deserve their moment. These, these nerds, and I'm one of them, so I'm allowed to say it. They deserve their moment. They work very hard. And please imagine college football, the soundtrack of the marching band in the stands. Now, he will argue they should just be in the stands. Keep them in the stands. But no, they have served us well and they deserve, okay, fine. Maybe you could cut it in half. Do like a seven minute show, but we're not getting rid of marching bands. It's part of the Americana. The experience is not the same without them. So if you're going to shorten the game, find another place. I do have to ask you now, as um, as a wife, mother, are you mother of three? How many kids do you have now? 
four children. Four. As a mother yes. of four, and a woman who is uh, who is herself likes the sports, athletics, plays and watches. What is your take on uh, cheerleaders at college football games? Do we are we fully supportive of this, or is this out of oh. place? Oh, they're uh, they're extremely good athletes. First of all, like the the tumbling is insane. And I have several family members who have been cheerleaders, so I can't, I can't hate. It was not my sport of choice. Because uh, uh, I did play the fact that I was also in marching band. I was covering a lot of bases, okay, Buck? Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was a well-rounded high school student, okay? And, uh, and so I was playing the clarinet, but I was also playing soccer. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, pro, I'm pro cheerleader. Pro cheerleader, okay. See, it's funny, because when yeah. you say it, it sounds somehow empowering to women. But when I or Clay <laughs> says, we're pro cheerleader, everyone's like, oh, yeah, of course you are. But anyway, uh, you know, I experienced my way, first. By the way, I have to I have to look this up, but I believe I tweeted in support of the First Amendment and boobs. And I somehow didn't get benched for that one. Wow. Yeah, that's a That's a thing that that's a thing that can happen. Apparently, I remember uh, that one either. Went, it, it, maybe it went into the radar or Zucker actually secretly agreed with me. I don't know. Yeah. More than a movie is back with season two of the award winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, 
or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Roald Dahl. <laughs> Let's talk about Roald Dahl for a minute here. Because you, you okay. brought this one to my attention. I always think of... Uh, well, actually, the one that I think I probably think of first is James and the Giant Peach, uh, which is that that's yeah. Roald Dahl, right? I don't want to be. This is like. Uh, no, you're correct. This reminds me of because um, I took uh, as an extra class, not part of the core curriculum or a main curriculum, but I took um, like music theory and classical music when I was in college, as one does when they're playing a nerd instrument that they'll never tell their audience know, about because yeah. they'll never they'll never live it down. But I do remember that the, the intro class for music was very, and that there were, uh, there were members. I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to cast aspersions here, but there were members of the football team who also, because this was a a gut class. Oh, and there gotcha. was right, so it was like not a hard class. So there, the, there were the nerds who were into the actual, and you could just sort of sit in the back yes. and like not really do anything, and it was almost like a music appreciation class. And there were a few of them who handed in. An analysis of uh, Pachelbel's canon by Bach, which I nice. thought was really nice. yes, the whole mm. you know the whole thing. So I'm tra- Roald Dahl, I believe wrote One James, of my and the Giant, James and the Giant <laughs> Peach, right? So yes, you're correct. That is a good. You're one. not. Yeah, you're not misnaming that one. You not, got it. So, what is your favorite? Your favorite Roald Dahl book? Uh, probably the Witches. Which I found to be like the most frightening thing I'd ever written or read when I was like nine years old. I was hiding in my room, like, "Oh my god, this is traumatic." I thought that Border- movie, bordering on traumatic, which I remember renting from Blockbuster because we are contemporaries, and that is the thing. I remember I, that movie, the, those witches. <laughs> this scared the crap out of me. I mean, that it didn't scare me quite as much as like The Exorcist, which came along later. But that, but it was pretty scary, right? So, yes, it was horrifying. What's more horrifying is if you read it to your children and they're not horrified at all, which is what happened to me. I was like, girls, what, what, how can you not be concerned about this? But they were like, I mean, it seems kind of light to us. I was like, what kind of warriors have I created? But the point being uh, that they're, they're not the snowflakes, but the reality is, and they own the rights to roll doll books, which if you've read any roll doll books, you know are full of, uh, adults and villains who are disgusting and fat and ugly, and he makes it very clear that these are their characteristics. Right. And now, because that's considered problematic, the estate that owns the rights to his books is now changing the books and editing them to take out words like fat oh my and to God. take out descriptions that might be problematic. And it is very, it's very super creepy and infantilizing. It's also just terrible writing because they take these lovely phrases like British hilarious mean insults and turn them into just mush to nothing. And of course, this, this is not considered censorship or book banning by the left, but changing curriculum or having age limits for very... Uh, adult material in school libraries, that is censorship of the highest degree. But actually changing this man's writing after he dies and then only publishing that and censoring it for everyone, not a problem. Not a problem, guys. I got to tell you, you know, I wasn't, I've never read the Harry Potter books. Uh, first of all, what they're doing, what they're doing to Roald Dahl is, is yeah. completely insane. I think he, they, they've, They've been going after a lot of. I do, didn't. Isn't Doctor Seuss also problematic for some? There's there's some issue with Doctor Seuss yes. books too. I can't write. They aren't they're racist or something, right? There's like tropes in them that they. Uh, yeah, there's there's problematic portrayals in them, and so there are some no longer published. And uh, like you know, these are these are the kinds of things where, by the way, when books are actually banned, what you have to do is you go have to find them like on a black market or on eBay or something, right? And that that's what you have to do now with the old versions of Roald Dahl 
and Dr. Seuss, the uncensored versions. Is, you have isn't to it so funny too? Because you know you'll see these you'll see these leftists who will tweet out a photo that this is my bookshelf of banned stuff, and it's right. like hypersexualized content that they were giving to first graders, yes. and they don't understand that like that's that's not being banned. That's just like don't be a sick weirdo. But as a conservative yes. or as somebody who's just a rationalist, a reasonable person, you could create a whole bookshelf now. I mean, think about it. Who, who's canceled? Dr. Seuss, Rodell, yeah. uh, uh, Rudyard Kipling. Uh, you know, go, go, you go down the list, and depending on what you're looking for, you could find Shakespeare. Come on. That guy, lots of stuff he yeah. did. Real, real naughty oh, to no, Shakespeare. Super, super problematic. Yeah, he was not woke at all. It's uh, going to be an issue. Do you think woke people are all miserable? I, something I, I always think about. I, I really think that they're, even if they, no matter how good looking, wealthy, successful, whatever, if they truly believe this stuff, if they're truly woke, they're, they lead a life of misery. This is my belief. So it depends on how much joy they're getting out of the power that comes from the victimhood they're claiming, right? Because that's the whole game. Uh, so if you enjoy that sort of power, and I think a lot of people, uh, particularly during COVID with the, the signaling and being able to boss everybody around, it became apparent to me that a lot of people really enjoy that in a way that I do not. I don't have any interest in telling you what to do, but a lot of people do. Uh, and so there is some enjoyment there, but it seems like such an, a terrible existence to me to spend all of your time thinking about this hierarchy of victimhood and where you claim your power by claiming that victimhood and just reacting to everything in the most hysterical way possible. Not a life I want to live. I have four, you know, irrational human beings I'm trying to raise. Like I, I got, I'm really, they've cornered the market on my ability to deal with that stuff. I, I, you mentioned there, there are a few things that I think get me more fired up than the COVID restriction stuff, just because I was in New York city for yeah. all of the pandemic. I mean, I, you know, would leave occasionally. I would, I would escape to Florida where I now live. Yes, um, because yes. I just couldn't couldn't deal with it anymore. And I was also very early. And this is all a matter of record. Thanks to things like Twitter. I was very early, meaning April. I wanted to reopen for full reopen and forget everything by yeah. um, Easter of 2020. I was like, this is crazy. I don't know what anyone thinks we're doing here. This is and it was oh, your grandma murderer. And so just extrapolate from that. Masks don't work, which I was saying earlier. I've gotten, I've gotten, uh, you know, YouTube and Twitter and all these things. I was getting banned and suspended and all, all the time for these yeah. things. They were wrong about absolutely everything. I just got back from mm -hmm. honeymoon, which is great, by the way. Fantastic! Yay! Oh yes, um, congratulations to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, married. Now I got, I got to catch up. You got four kids. We're, you know, we're, we got to, we got to right. make some, some, uh, some babies happen here. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you, you look at LAX, for example. I mean, I just, I just came mm -hmm. through LAX. I'm not going to pretend that it's everybody, but because obviously it's a, it's a small group. I'd say 5% of LAX, when you're walking around, one out of 20 people are still wearing a mask. And I honestly think that they're emotionally, they've been emotionally traumatized by their own yes. tribe and that's what's really happened yes. and like they can't turn it off now no i i think that's where a lot of people are and it's very sad uh because myopically protecting yourself from very small physical risks at the uh loss of your emotional well-being and the fulfillment of your life's purpose is really really bad you shouldn't do that and your government shouldn't do that to you which is what it attempted to do for three years and there were people who spoke out about it um but look i went to uh I went to a children's museum with my kids the other day and I the, the protocols before I went because I don't take my kids to places they can't enjoy, right? And it says, oh, that they are going to um, enforce masking on unvaccinated people over five. And I'm like, is this real? So I took, I took them by the museum and realized, okay, this is not enforced at all. And then I told them, you need to take this off your website because I don't wanna come if this is on your website, what I've realized is that they only hear from the Karens on that side. And I need to be a Karen for my own side. Like I need to be saying children are not supposed to have their enjoyment taken away from them for no reason at this museum. And you need to stop advertising that you're going to do that. LifeLock by Norton provides you and me with something essential in this digital age, online identity theft protection. 
stop and think for a moment how many times you've entered your name and password, let alone your confidential information, credit cards, addresses, all of that stuff, just in the last year alone. Now ask yourself if you're blindly trusting every entity you share that information with to never have a data breach. I mean, that's impossible. That's why having this protection from LifeLock is a must these days. Their systems scan for evidence of someone tampering with your identity or just outright stealing it. When they see that happening, they're in touch with you to ask if you have a problem on your hands. If it turns out you're a victim of identity theft, they'll assign a dedicated restoration specialist to help you restore your good name and your credit, taking advantage of all the shortcuts and expertise they've assembled. You want those problems solved immediately. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Sign up today and save 25% off your first year with my name as the promo code BUCK. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go online to lifelock.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. It always has reminded me. I totally, agree, I totally agree with you, by the way. Do you know who? I mean, obviously you know who because that's why I'm telling you the story. I, in my New York City apartment building, I lived in a, I used to live in, it was like a 65-story building, you know, huge building. And so it had a pretty big gym in the building. Even after the all clear and the gyms were open and everything like that, I mean, not the all clear, but, you know, even after the reopen right. and you don't have to wear masks anymore, basically when the vaccine rollout happened, they left all the you must mask up signs, even though the policy changed. So they sent out an email saying you don't yeah. have to mask up anymore, but all the signage stayed up and I walked around and there are people that do it. But I, I literally pulled down one after another, all of these yeah. signs and threw them in the trash. And everyone's walking around like, hey, who pulled down the signs, man? That's all. I was like, why were they? I was like, because the whole point of the exercise was the psychological control. The whole point of the yes. exercise was compliance training based on whatever the apparatus decided at, at any point. And so I refused it. It was, uh, you know, even to this day, you see, and um, I was coming through, I went through a bunch of airports because I was in the South Pacific. I was in French Polynesia. It's very nice. Highly recommend it. Um, but even in the airport in, uh, in Papiete, which is the main city in French Polynesian Tahiti. Right. Uh, and, uh, even the airport, you'll see, ma- you know, must wear a mask signs all over the place. To me, it's like yeah. the, the, I don't know if you ever see these, I've seen these before cause they have them in New York. The, they used to have these old weird things, um, like a, a little symbol that you would see on some buildings. And I learned one day, these are nuclear fallout shelters. Okay. Mm-hmm. There were nuclear fallout shots, and they're, they're still they're still sitting there, you know, just in case. And I kind of want to tell everybody if they ever have to really get you in the nuclear fallout shelter, you probably want to go in the yeah. first wave. Like it's probably too late. <laughs> right, right. What's your philosophy on that? No, I my uh, I think I would I was probably a little later than you to the game on the lockdown stuff, and like this. Don't is be hard on yourself. Obviously, pretty terrible. much everybody was, but yes, yeah. But I think by it was in April of 2020 that we're sending out uh, questionnaires to parents about whether you'd send your kids to school. And I was like, just mashing every button like, yes, yes, my children can go to school. Yes, I will send them in person. Yes, I will do this. And it made absolutely no difference because they weren't interested in a person like me who had a rational assessment of whether this was dangerous to my children and figured out very quickly that it seemed not to be and that school might be the better option than, oh, I don't know, keeping most every metro area's millions of children out of a regular school's uh, schedule for more than a year, 18 months in some places. It was appalling. And to watch Randy Weingarten, um, you know, the head of, what is it? The uh, American Federation of Teachers, or is it the other one? I always so there's the two big teachers. Yeah, she's unions. AFT. AFT. Yeah, she's AFT. So to watch Randy Weingarten go around and act like she want recently in the last six months that she was an advocate for schools opening. Yeah. Uh, look, I think this is a problem that that Trump is going to have to deal with now uh, in in the primary, uh, which is that. Yeah. 2020 was was absolutely mishandled uh, from a COVID perspective. Things were wrong in the beginning. Fine. I, I just want to say to everybody, you got a 60 day window, which I think is pretty generous yeah. to, to just be like, look, I, I don't This is crazy. You know, who, who, how many people are going to die? I don't know what's going on. We're all scared. After that, you're responsible for the decisions you're making because you have data yeah. here in America 
And Fauci was able to Fauci. And Walensky was able. Well, not Walensky. She came later. Who's the other one? Uh, Burks. Burks was able Burks, to Burks. Yeah. And Randy Weingarten was able to dictate. And uh, whether schools would open. I mean, the stuff that was allowed to happen. And I'm not willing to let this stuff go. I, I guess that's kind of. I, I would have a hard time at this point being. Uh, spending spending a lot of time around somebody, for example, who isn't embarrassed by the notion of masking, who who doesn't realize what a sham the whole thing was. Like I would I would have a difficult time being around that person for a, for an extended period of time. No, I think you're right. There are true policy differences that will be hashed out in a primary on this, and there are records to talk about on this. And so I think that's going to be interesting. And it's interesting to see how you do that. Cause I'm with you where I'm like, people need to admit that they were wrong or else we're just going to do this again. Yes. It's very obvious to me that that's what's coming. However, how do you run a political campaign where you adjudicate that don't look backwards looking versus forwards looking? That's what I'm a little worried about with Republicans. Cause I think that, I think there need a reckoning about this and I'm not sure how you do it without sounding too backwards looking as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, I I also worry that um, Republicans uh, have, have, well, I have a lot of worries. There's a whole other podcast we have to do about the things I'm concerned about yeah. when it comes to the Republican Party right now. Um, I, I feel like we are not learning the lessons we should learn from, from painful election losses in the last two cycles. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, I, it's, I'm, I've never had a lot of faith in, uh, in like politicians in general, even the ones that I tend to like. Um, so I'm not terribly surprised when they don't learn from these things. But I think, look, we have seen in several cycles uh, that there's a bunch of people. Oh, let's just take Yunkin in Virginia, for instance, right? He's a guy who runs in Virginia and appeals to basically the demographic that I am. Not to be too self-referential, but a like pretty normy suburban educated mom uh, who's mad about school closings, but maybe doesn't go all the way towards a more uh, Trump-aligned candidate, right? And Youngkin walked this very skillful line where he ended up bringing out plenty of rural voters, but also brought out people in Northern Virginia who wouldn't otherwise vote for Republicans. And like, if you can't do that, you're not gonna win in these purple areas, right? Um, but I think that I think that you can walk that line and you can be smart about the facts you're marshalling, which he was on schools, which Ron DeSantis is repeatedly on dealing with COVID. He's marshalling facts. He's telling people, look, this is the way, this is where the data points. And I think that smart approach, instead of a more, I don't know, brash, like bullying approach, right i think can people in my demographic do you do you think that the democrat party and and this i I like to remind people joe biden the white house they have officially weighed in on gender transition for kids i mean this is white house policy this is not this is not just activists this is from the absolute top of the democrat party on down uh do you think the men can get pregnant phenomenon from democrats could cost them if republicans explain that this is just part of a broader campaign of crazy i think that can matter a lot and i think it mattered in northern virginia getting some of those folks as a as an example because i was close to it and it had a lot of these issues at play um but these these policies for folks and there are a lot of people out there who are not haters who are nonetheless unwilling to believe that their daughters are sons or their sons are daughters just because a school counselor said so. Like that's not a thing that most voters are okay with and having that pushed via their public schools that they're paying for, which by down for a year and a half. Like it may, they're not learning to read, but we're doing this. Yeah. I, I think the radical oh. agenda of, of the left as it pertains to kids in school and as it pertains to uh, equity and inclusion is if the Republicans yeah. just get it together and really message properly on this. I just think the Democrats one, they, I think they can't win on those arguments. Um, and I think that they're 60, 40, maybe even 70, 30 issues. Well, actually the kids and the gender thing is yeah. more like a 95, five issue, but the equity and inclusion stuff, I mean, affirmative action really, for example, 
affirmative action in America is an 80-20 issue at this point, meaning about 80% of the country is like, you really shouldn't be doing this stuff anymore. Yeah. But the, the press remarkably has no concept of that. It's none. Like, like, none. Like with the school closings, it's a, I pitched people on stories about how this school closing stuff is really going to matter in this governor's race in Virginia. And several publications are like, nah, I don't really think that's a thing. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, okay, we'll see. Yeah, they could probably go work at CNN. Mary Catherine Ham, everybody, MKH, the Hammer. Go check out Getting Hammered, her podcast. Uh, Mary Catherine Ham on Substack. Thank you. She's going to be letting it fly as she is now a or soon to be a totally free agent in the world of media. We look forward to our next stuff. Please come back and hang out with us again. This is a lot of fun. We could have covered a, a whole lot more stuff. And uh, next time around, we will. Thanks for hanging out. Of course. Glad to be here. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair, it's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.